follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Before we get started today, I want to thank our military service personnel who are joining us from bases and remote locations around the world. Thank you for being with us again. My guest today is here to break down Thursday's vice presidential debate in a way that very few journalists can. In just a few minutes, CNN's John King will be joining me on the program. Uh, Before we speak with him, let me mention that this is the seventh presidential election King has covered in over 30 years of analysis and reporting. And he's also no stranger to foreign affairs. In addition to reporting from all 50 states, he has brought us the news from countries spanning the Middle East to Thailand. King's career began in 1985 when he joined the Associated Press as a writer. Within five years, he found himself in the position of chief political correspondent, heading up coverage of the 1992 and 1996 presidential elections. By 1997, King was on everyone's radar, and CNN jumped at the chance to bring him on board as their senior White House correspondent. And a short while later, King was named CNN's chief national correspondent, a position he holds today. In addition to his sharp analysis and reporting, King has also been the host of two news programs, State of the Union with John King and also John King USA. King has been the recipient of the Associated Press Managing Editors Association Award, the Peabody, the Emmy, and acknowledgments from just about every professional broadcasting organization in the country. So I can't think of a more qualified person to help us understand how Thursday's debate helped or hurt the candidates. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program a veteran whose name is synonymous with looking at data from every perspective imaginable, Mr. John King. Welcome to the program, Mr. King. Happy to be here. That's uh, way too kind of an introduction. Makes me feel like it's time to retire. (laughs) Oh, please don't do that. I need you. I need you to break all this stuff down. It's it's getting really complicated. Uh, so, So let's open the program today with a little history. For the most part, these vice presidential debates, they don't have much of a track record of making a difference either way in terms of helping the voters choose a president, do they? No, they don't. If you look back over time, it's a pretty clear rule that Americans pick presidents. They don't pick vice presidents. And the most glaring example that uh, most people out there listening could remember, except the youngest, is back in 1988 when uh, you know, 
Dan Quayle got his clock cleaned by Lloyd Benson in the vice presidential debate. It was almost embarrassing. Uh, George H.W. Bush not only won the election that year, he won 40 of the 50 states. Uh, so that tells you that, you know, viewers at home, uh, those who watch the vice presidential debate, it might help them. Uh, you know, was it a good judgment by the president? Uh, you know, is this person qualified? God forbid something happens to step up and be president. But does it really affect, you know, the yes or no, who do I vote for vote on election day? There's not much evidence of that. I wonder why we don't worry about that a little bit more, because isn't that a little bit indicative of their choices for cabinet positions? That's a great question in the sense that, you know, the, again, the, the quail was introduced to horrible reviews back in 1988. It's the worst one I can remember. In my I remember that. That's the first of my seven campaigns. And, you know, all of them get kicked around a little bit. Uh, why this guy? Why that guy? Uh, Quill, I think, was the most roundly criticized. And he had a bad debate performance. And he was not terribly great out on the stump either. Um, and yet, uh, George H.W. Bush won. It was not viewed as a reflection on his judgment. Uh, you mentioned, you know, his personnel judgments, his character judgments. Uh, he won not only did he win, he won 40 states, in part because, you know, Dukakis was more liberal than the country as a whole, and the Bush campaign did an excellent job, um, you might say a very tough job, uh, devastating Dukakis with its tough television ads. Um, Sarah Palin, uh, you know, went through this process more recently, and um, some conservatives loved her, and there were places where she helped John McCain. She ended up turnout among the conservative base, uh, but in America's suburbs, where any close election, and 2008 wasn't all that close in the end, but close competitive elections in the United States are decided in the suburbs, uh, all things being equal, and largely by suburban women. And most suburban women, especially college-educated suburban women, uh, did not warm to Sarah Palin. But was that their decision to vote against Sarah Palin? No, it was more to vote either for Barack Obama or against John McCain. Mm-hmm. Well, I think everybody agreed that based on the results of the first presidential debate, Biden need, needed to make a strong showing. The Democratic base was having a hard time explaining Obama's performance. So did Biden do the job? Yes, I think without a doubt. This is an odd debate in the sense that I think you can make a strong case that both sides um, did what they needed to do. Does that mean both sides win? That's a more complicated question. But for Biden, uh, you know, this Democratic morale went into the tank after the first debate. And you, you saw bet. what happened in the polling. Uh, Republican intensity goes up. Therefore, Mitt Romney's position in the polls go up. Democratic intensity drops a little bit. The president drops a little bit, not just in the national polls. But if you go state by state through the battleground states, the president took a beating. Uh, hurt. He got hurt by the first debate. So the number one thing Biden needed to do was give Democrats a shot in the arm, a morale boost. And it was clear uh, there was you could go back through some of his answers and say, how would that play with independents? How would that play with more moderate swing voters? Um, and you might raise some flags or question marks. But he knew coming in his job was to excite the base to say, I am here to fight. I'm here to fight. I am here to fight. And he was very feisty, very energetic. There's criticisms of the laughing and the eye rolls and the smiles uh, and He'll maybe lose some points on style with some people, but you could see it in the reaction uh, in the spin room at the debate, in the Twitterverse and Facebook and social media, in the comments in Democrats all across the country I've talked to, from elected officials to county volunteers for Democratic campaigns. They loved it, and that's what they needed, a shot in the arm. Well, let's stick with Biden for a minute before we move on to Ryan. According to CNN survey, his weakest moment came when he was asked about the terrorist attack on uh, our embassy in Benghazi. And his answer seemed to be twofold. First was to blame Ryan in the Congress for cutting the budget for embassy security by $300 million. And then he blamed the CIA for inaccurate information about who these perpetrators really were. And that didn't seem to go well either. With the next presidential debate being on foreign policy, this seems like an area where Obama and Biden don't come out too well. What's your take on that? 
This is a huge question, Mark, and uh, it's a huge policy question. Forget the election for a minute. It's a huge policy question challenge, and I think uh, there's some uh, problems for the administration here. And then politically, uh, that creates a possible opening uh, for Governor Romney and the Republicans. What the vice president said last night, number one, publicly blaming the intelligence community. Uh, I've been in Washington now for 25 years. Uh, When you publicly attack the CIA and the other intelligence agencies, there is almost always uh, a return on that investment, if you will. If you go back in time, those who have publicly criticized the CIA have had a tough three or four, five, six weeks after because the CIA gets mad at that. Uh, And this morning in trying to clean it up, the administration, the White House is blaming the State Department. So you have the vice president blaming the CIA. You have the White House now, the press secretary, Jay Carney, blaming the State Department publicly, um, which will beg the question from Mitt Romney, uh, Mr. President, aren't you in charge of the government? Uh, Aren't you responsible for the people who work for you? Um, And look, there's an obvious opening here. The Obama campaign criticizes Mitt Romney for things that happened at Bank Capital, and he was the CEO. Everything he did at Bank Capital is fair business. But they also criticized him for things that happened at Bank Capital a couple of years after he was gone. So you can see the Romney campaign turning and saying, Mr. President, if I'm responsible for things that happened at the company after I left, aren't you responsible for things that happen now? And there's no question. I'm not saying the paper trail ever made it to the president, but somebody in Libya was asking for more security help. They were raising flags saying, we're worried. And those requests were not honored. Uh, you know, there is a bureaucracy. I've covered the government for a long time. There is a bureaucracy. Things get lost. Uh, but you would think heading into the anniversary of 9-11, uh, such a sensitive outpost in the world at such a sensitive time in that part of the world, that, you know, that that request should be put in the top of the inbox as opposed to, you know, the thousands of other requests that come in from around the world. But I thought it was interesting that Biden started out by attacking Congress for cutting back on embassy security funds. That's, That's where he started. I mean, he yeah, didn't end up there, but I, it kind of got lost in, in the debate analysis, I thought, that he started there by blaming Congress for it. Well, that's what in politics we call a pivot. If you're asked a question that the if you gave a straight, direct answer to the question it might get you in trouble, meaning we dropped the ball somewhere, which is which is the answer. Uh, again, it happens. Uh, but some you know people died here, so this is a tough one. And, and somewhere in the chain of command in the administration, they dropped the ball and didn't answer this request for more security. Uh, but the, the vice president was not going to say that on a national political stage. That you know he did say we'll have an investigation, but he didn't say we dropped the ball somewhere. We need to find out and we need to figure out what happened here. So instead, you pivot and you say the Republicans. You, you think our plan was bad. The Republicans wanted to cut the money even more for embassy security, and then he went off and criticized Mitt Romney about Iraq. Right, right. Well, well said. We have to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we'll take a look at Ryan's weakest moment in the debate also. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report. There's no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven. But here's a little bit of good news. Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner-broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831-622-1040 or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores 
or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. We have an important election coming this November, and I know that many folks are struggling right now. And if you're not struggling, well, then you're just flat out worried. I know that you're hoping that the next president, whoever they are, will have a plan for getting us out of an economic hole that keeps getting deeper. But this time around, the answers may not come from the top down. Something is happening to us, and it is happening to all people in all nations at the exact same time. And that is why I am asking you to take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle. It's a book that will change the way you see our problems and also the upcoming election. So please pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. It's available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores everywhere. You can also grab a copy at RebeccaCost.com. But don't wait. Take a moment to get your copy, and together, let's get our lives and our country moving forward again. The Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk and the Capitola Auto Mall Dealer Group present Drive for Schools. Support your local schools and enter to win your choice of a new Toyota Prius, Subaru Outback, or $25,000 cash. Plus over 100 other great prizes. Tickets are just $5, and 100% of the sales benefit participating Santa Cruz County schools. Visit beachboardwalk.com slash drive for schools for a list of schools and ticket information. Your last day to buy tickets from participating schools is October 21st. For seniors, having close and accessible medical care is important. Here in Santa Cruz County, the majority of our local doctors and specialists are members of PMG, Physicians Medical Group, local doctors who are close to you when you need them most. With PMG, you have your own personal doctor who sees you every visit. That's something to remember when considering a Medicare Advantage plan. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home. Not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply. Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. Don't miss the next perspectives. Virtually all cancers are all substantially increased when you're vitamin D deficient. Every Saturday from 12 noon to 1 o'clock. You've tuned in to the Perspectives Radio Show. My name is Donald Davidson. I'm your host and joining me in the studio as special guest host is Dr. Stan. Join Donald Davidson, Dr. Stanley Monteith, Dr. David Biles, Tom Quinn, and others. Perspectives every Saturday from 12 noon to 1 o'clock on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Chief National Correspondent for CNN, Mr. John King. Now, continuing with Biden for just a moment, according to the polls, his strongest moment seemed to come when he talked about leveling the playing field between Main Street and Wall Street so the middle class had a fighting chance. People felt that he was relating to them, and that hasn't been one of the Romney-Ryan strong points. Voters can't really relate and connect with them. So was that an opportunity there? 
Yes, and uh, it's. I think it's smart for you to highlight that because this is one of the president and, and the Obama-Biden ticket's greatest opportunities. On the I'm on your side, I will fight for you, we understand your struggles, and we want to make things, use the levers of government to make policy more fair. Now, this is a strong argument for the Democrats. If you look at polling data, if you look at Biden's answer last night, if you look at how this plays, I travel the country a lot and you talk to people, they do think that the government helps the rich and sticks it to the middle class, sticks it to the people who are working hard out there. And so when he talks about tax fairness, uh, the dial groups go off the charts. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a powerful message for the Democrats and something you can look for. The president was sort of asleep at the first debate. I will, you know, I I bet you a dollar or more. um, That is an argument you hear a lot from the president in the next debate. Mm-hmm. So moving right along to Ryan, by most accounts, he had one job to do, and that was to prove that he was presidential material and that the negative attack ads portraying him as some soulless Medicare slashing devil wasn't true. Did, did he get the job done? I think he did get the job done. Now, you know, partisans out there are going to say no. Um, the even divide in the polls about who won the debate uh, tell you a lot about you know the polarization of our country and the polarization of the presidential race right now. Um, they were pretty evenly divided when you poll people who watch the debate on who won and where's the race right now? Pretty evenly divided between you know uh, Romney Ryan and Obama Biden. Uh, but he didn't. You people out there may disagree with some of his policy statements, whether on domestic policy or foreign policy. But he didn't say anything that was clearly dumb or no major gaffe. Uh, and so, yeah, he stepped across the threshold. I think people could see him as a future potential president. Uh, well, some people say he's a little too young maybe to be president next year. Uh, that's part of the debate. But he, he crossed the credibility threshold. And conservatives were thrilled with his performance because, you know, he gave as good as he got. And on all of those issues he and Biden went through, I think it's great for the country. There's a big choice in this election between the approach of the Democrats and the approach of the Republicans, whether it's taxes, health care, Medicare, uh, some of the foreign policy issues. And these guys are two passionate, happy warriors, and they laid out the choices pretty good. Mm-hmm. There was a point, at, a couple of points, where he looked straight into the camera and spoke to the American people. And I was wishing Joe Biden had done that. You know, he always seemed to be looking to the left or the right or something like that. That I don't know if that was just training by the debate coach. What did you think about that when you saw that? Because it sort of stuck out to me. That that is it is training by the debate team and training by his media team. All you know all that level politicians get some media training and he did it effectively um, a couple times during the debate and then in his closing statement where he started by looking at the moderator thank Martha Raddatz and then boom straight to the camera mm-hmm. looking people in the eye and and it's smart for him especially because of the point you made earlier uh, the Democrats are trying to paint him as this scary boogeyman the guy wants to take away your Medicare cut your Pell Grants rip up the social safety net and some of the things and you know, Paul Ryan's not afraid to talk about those things whether you agree or disagree you have to give him credit that he's not afraid to talk about the details of his budget and he also he looks you straight in the eye because you know, his point essentially is we make these hard choices or guess what? Automatic things happen. They're even worse, or even more painful. And that will be a debate in the election. But one of the ways to sell yourself is to look people directly in the eye and talk to them, not look down, not seem you know, shady or sketchy about it. And uh, he proved very likable last night. And that helps the Republicans and it hurts the Democratic effort to demonize it. I've got a bet as to whether they bring Adrian Brody on Saturday Night Live to play his part. That's a good one. I haven't thought of that. <laughs> now, according to the polls, his uh, weakest moment came when he talked about the fact that he didn't believe that appointed judges should rule on abortion, which was seemed like a clever way of saying that Roe versus Wade was not an issue the court should have decided. Uh, would you have read it that way? Yeah, that was not. Yes, yes. A, it was, he was saying that doesn't belong in the courts, and B, he didn't directly answer the question. So he was saying something I think a lot of people with 
think might have been a really, um, especially, you know, people who support abortion rights. Uh, again, suburban women are critical in this election. And also, you know, he was essentially asked, should anyone who supports abortion rights be worried? Would a Romney-Ryan administration actively try to repeal them? And he didn't give a direct answer. And so you're not directly answering the moderator, and then you say something that people might find a little odd, and uh, the, you could see it in the dial groups that, uh-oh, we don't like this. Yeah, they, it was interesting that a number of his answers really seemed to sidestep specifics. And yet, curiously, among registered women voters, the Romney-Ryan camp seemed to be showing some slight gains. Is that right? Yes. Uh, among overall, especially in the national polls coming into this debate, uh, they were closing the gender gap some. There will be a gender gap. Romney will win among men and Obama will win among women. Uh, the question is, what is the margin? And Obama needs to improve his standing among men, especially white men. He gets the bulk of African-American men and other minorities. Uh, and Romney needs definitely to close the gender gap among women. And I was just out in some of the battleground states in the past few weeks, and a particular warning sign to Governor Romney right now, and some of this comes from that 47% remark, mm-hmm. is white working-class women um, mm-hmm. who may, or may in the past several years had to maybe go on food stamps for a couple of years because somebody in the family was unemployed or who know people like that who were offended by that. That's a traditional Republican constituency, high school-educated, white, working women, uh, a lot of stay-at-home moms in places like Ohio and Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, he needs those votes. And, and that is Romney has made some very important gains since the first presidential debate, but that is one flashing warning sign for him there that he needs to work on. I'll tell you something curious that I heard from John Zogby. I had him on the program a few weeks ago, and he said that there seemed to be a marital divide, that women that were married were leaning toward Romney-Ryan, and single women were leaning toward uh, Obama-Biden. That's interesting. It is interesting. And, uh, you know, my old friend Bill Bennett, um, who's a contributor here at CNN, of course, was the education secretary uh, back in the first Bush administration. Uh, he has a joke that's not really a joke. He says, uh, you know, how do you define a conservative? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, that's a liberal who gets married and has children. Um, <laughs> so, so you, you do see that when uh, when, you know, women who are married and have children um, the Republicans think they have a better argument with them about the size of government, the scope of government and taxation and the like. Um, and some of that, you know, on the economic issues, Romney has an opening there. I think there's, you know, on some of these um, social issues and what I'll call empathy issues, uh, that's where the Democrats see their way to try to narrow that. Do we have any data from the uh, previous election in terms of the breakout of number of single registered voters versus married registered voters? I'm sure we have that data. I don't have it in front of me. But I do know that, like uh, Stan Greenberg, who's one of the more renowned Democratic pollsters, and his daughter, who also is in the business now, mm-hmm. um, they they have done really excellent research and saying that you know unmarried women, essentially, all other things being equal, if the president's African-American turnout is where it should be, if Latino turnout is about where it should be, if evangelicals turn out for Republicans about at normal levels, um, that single unmarried women Uh, in several of the most important states can be the swing vote. Right. So most of the criticism I heard in the post-debate analysis was that uh, Ryan didn't cite as many facts as Biden. They said that Ryan wasn't specific enough. How do you feel about that? I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, Biden wanted to do that. Part of it is what do you want to do coming in? Um, Ryan's mission coming in was to say, I'm an acceptable president. I'm not a scary guy. And I can hold my own on foreign policy with Joe Biden, the former chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, was going to try to say, you know, look, kid, let me tell you about the world. Uh, I think he passed those tests. Um, Was he as specific in going through the programs as the vice president? No. Uh, Part of that, some people might say it's experience. Joe Biden's been at this for 40 plus years. Uh, Part of it is 
could be by design. On some of the foreign policy questions, he was asked by Martha Raddatz, for example, is there any scenario under which U.S. troops would be used for humanitarian reasons? Mm-hmm. And he, he gave a very simplistic, you know, the standard is, is it in the national security interest of the United States? Right. And he, he didn't try, that, that's a very difficult one. You can go back to Bosnia. You can look at Bill Clinton, who says he made a huge mistake in Rwanda by not doing more there. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't give nuance. He didn't try to give, you know, more Right. Unfortunately, we have to take another short break, but when we come back, we'll talk about the independent voters, swing states, and the next presidential debate. You're listening to the Costa Report. There aren't many things you can trust these days, but thankfully, you can still trust your taste buds. That's why I want to tell you about Caraccioli Cellars. Recently, I stopped by their tasting room right there on Dolores Street in downtown Carmel to sample their Pinot Noir. And well, folks, let me put it this way. I did not stop there. The Pinot was so far and above what you'd expect from a family-owned winery that I had to try their Chardonnay, Brut Rosé, and Brut Cuvée just to make sure the Pinot wasn't some fluke. And you know what? This may be the one and only time you hear me, Rebecca Costa, mention a winemaker on the air. If you don't know Caraccioli Cellars, then get your taste buds down to their tasting room on Dolores Street and ask them to pour you the same wines that won me over. Caraccioli Cellars. Memorize that name because you're going to hear a lot about them. This caliber of wine doesn't stay a secret for long. Caraccioli Cellars. It's what I serve at my table, and you'll be proud to serve it at yours. Hi, Dale here from Jungle Plant. Today I'm answering the most frequent question I receive. What is Jungle Plant? We're a full-service interior plant company providing sales, service, and rental of plants. And we're here for you with free consultations. So give us a call at 462-5806 or visit us at jungleplant.com and Facebook and Yelp and Manta and Merchant Circle and LinkedIn and Twitter and Google and Yahoo Local. There's lots of ways to sum up toughness. Tough as nails, tough cookie, tough love, and tough as leather. But what's tougher than talking tough? Actually being tough. Like the Kubota RTV 1140 CPX from CNN Tractors. One of the toughest, hardest working, most versatile utility vehicles on the planet. Equipped to convert easily from two-person to four-person seating. With a hydraulic dumping bed that makes it perfect for hauling and dumping chores. Plus, it has a 24.8 horsepower Kubota diesel engine, a variable hydro transmission, and hydrostatic power steering. The RTV 1140 CPX is one tough, versatile machine. Test drive it now at CNN Tractors in Watsonville. Kubota, everything you value. See the full line at CNN Tractors in Watsonville or online at cnntractors.com. CNN Tractors, give us your tough jobs. Tune in to the Sentinel Radio Program Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Brought to you by First Church of Christ Scientist Monterey. Come into our Christian Science Community Reading Room and Bookstore and find comfort from the challenges you're facing. We have the resources that will connect you with your God-given substance. Find help now. Our address is 780 Abrego Street in Monterey. Reach out for this help today. Come in and visit or call 831-372-5076. 372-5076. Robert Frost said, Good fences make good neighbors. But I say, Bamboo privacy hedges make really good neighbors. Hello, I'm Larry Gullman of Bamboo Giant on Freedom Boulevard in Aptos. Bamboo Giant features the best bamboo species for our local climate, which means we have the right bamboo for you. Listen to what customers have to say. My name's Amy Brooks. 
I'm from San Jose. I had a new fence built, and it left a little space between me and my neighbor. Love my neighbor, but didn't we just didn't need to be in each other's business. And so I looked at bamboos online, thinking it would be very simple, and come to find out there's 8,000 varieties of bamboo, and the only ones I knew about were those little squiggly ones. So I went to Bamboo Giant in Aptos, and he had two varieties for me to pick from. And so I looked at those two and picked the one I like. The privacy problem has been solved. Visit Bamboo Giant and walk our 30 acres of naturally growing bamboo groves. You will be truly amazed at the diversity, and you will see just how easy it can be to use bamboo to bring privacy to your home. Bamboo Giant is located at 5601 Freedom Boulevard in Aptos and on the web at BambooGiant.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with veteran correspondent and analyst for CNN, Mr. John King. So I wanted to let you complete that thought uh, about the non-specifics and Ryan's uh, presentation during the debate. I just think there were several times where he gave one line or two sentence answers uh, where the question uh, might have begged and the person at home might have been looking for a little bit more depth and context. One of the values of debates is not only, you know, what do they, how do they specifically answer? What would the tax rate be or, or what's the biggest threat in the world? Not just the what's, but the who. You learn from these debates how somebody clicks, you know, how, what makes their brain tick, where their instincts are, where their passions are. And I think there were a couple of places where he gave very short, simple answers that uh, might have been, you know, he's not as briefed on those subjects or it might have been that was his deliberate strategy. But there are a few places where I would have liked a little bit more to try to, you know, climb inside the thinking process. You know what I wanted one of them to say is, look, these problems are complicated and you're giving me 20 seconds to answer a complicated problem like this. Really? I mean, really? 20 seconds, 15 seconds? That that would be a good answer. You know, Syria, solve it in a minute. Uh, Yeah, come on. I I mean, these problems have dogged us for, you know, one presidency after another and giving somebody 20 or 30 seconds to give specifics and give a cohesive answer is really is hardly fair. Well, just to sum up Thursday's debate, what impact has this had on voters in your view? Any? I don't think it will have a huge impact on the race. I think it will help the Democrats a little bit because their morale will go up. That means their intensity will go up, which means they'll do a little bit better. When pollsters call their homes, uh, they won't be saying, gee, I don't know. They'll be saying, yes, I'm for Obama and Biden. So we'll help them a little bit there. But I don't think you'll see any dip on the Republican side. So I think what it does is it adds to the intensity. We're now, you know, a little more than three weeks away uh, from this election. And so I think it gins up the intensity of both sides. Uh, Will it impact the polling? I don't think so, in part because... They were relatively equal players, in part because they both did what they wanted to do in terms of appealing to their base constituencies. And even more importantly, this will have a short shelf life because Romney and Obama will back in the, be back in the arena pretty quick. That's right. So going into home stretch, the race is shaping up to be neck and neck. So talk to us a little bit about which swing states are going to be important and how they're shaping up. There are about eight or nine just dead, flat-out toss-ups right now, and it makes it fascinating. It also makes it sad for people in other states because they're not going to see the campaign. Uh, but well, if tell me live, about it. I'm out here in California, and nobody cares what we're doing. Uh, California, <laughs> New York, and even Texas, sadly, have become the ATMs of presidential politics. The candidates <laughs> swing through to raise money, uh, but they're not viewed as competitive states. And that's sad in some ways. Yeah, I can remember not so much California. You have to go back to the early 80s and the Reagan days. But Washington and Oregon used to be fairly competitive states, a lot of other states. But now we seem locked into these eight or nine swing states. Um, Where are they? Let's come from west to east. Uh, Nevada has the highest unemployment in the country. It has a huge housing crisis still. You would think that would be a lock for a challenger, that the incumbent president just could not win re-election after the tough 
few years Nevada has had. Yet it's a dead heat toss up in part because of the Latino vote, which is critical for the president and is a crisis, not just for Mitt Romney, but for the Republicans. Um, Colorado's a dead heat right now. It's a fascinating state where, you know, you have an evangelical population critical to Governor Romney. Uh, you have a growing Latino population critical to the president. Um, you have a Mormon population. Uh, it's only about 3% of the vote in that state. But in Nevada and in Colorado, two states out west, um, the LDS church is a benefit to Governor Romney. Back in the primaries, we thought some, does it hurt him in the South? Does it hurt him among Southern Baptists? Well, there are a few places in the general election where it's going to help him, and Colorado and Nevada are among them. Um, Suburban women in the Denver suburbs will decide that state. Then you come to the Midwest, and you have Iowa, Wisconsin, and Ohio um, all in play. You know the history. No Republican has ever been elected without (laughs) winning Ohio. It's It's also the most conservative of those three states, Wisconsin, Iowa, in Ohio. So I would just watch Ohio because if Romney loses Ohio, he's probably losing Iowa and Wisconsin as well. Mm. Um, so if he wins Ohio, um, then he's in play to, to win the presidency. And so I'm going to be back in Ohio repeatedly. And again, it's one of those states where this will be won or lost on the margins. The president needs the African-American vote in Cleveland, Columbus, and in Cincinnati. Uh, Governor Romney needs the rural vote in the, the more agricultural areas in the small town America. Uh, and it's just a turnout. This is this is going to come down to which campaign is better organized. And how do the independent voters look in these swing states? The, the fascinating thing, Rebecca, about independence is uh, I'm, I've become increasingly skeptical of the term. Uh, there's a very narrow slice of true independence, mm-hmm. very, very narrow slice in most states. What happens is after 2006, heading into 2008, you know, the now about roughly a third of people identify themselves as Democrats, roughly a third as Republicans, and roughly a third as independents. That goes up or down in, depending on what state you're in. But the independent block changes every two years. If Republicans are mad at George W. Bush, for example, after Katrina, exhausted by the Iraq War, uh, they don't want to call themselves Republicans because they're not proud to be Republicans. So they say they're independents. But eight out of ten times or nine out of ten times, they still vote Republican. And so what happens then? Or what happened? One of the reasons Romney jumped after the first debate is because a bunch of people who had been identifying themselves as independents suddenly decided, I'm proud now. I like this guy. I'm going to identify myself as a Republican. So when you see a state that has 30% of independents, my bet is that 10% of those are solid, a third of those are solid Democrats, a third of those are pretty solid Republicans, and only really the slice in the middle are truly independents. And so what are they looking for? When you find somebody who's a true independent who maybe voted for, you know, John Kerry, then John McCain or George W. Bush and then Barack Obama. Um, they're looking for they're looking for clear details on in four years. Where will I be? Mm-hmm. What will the economy be like? Will I be able to send my kids to college? How are we going to deal with the China challenge when it comes to the economy? Uh, some people ask about the China challenge when it comes to security issues. And and frankly, they're disgusted or disappointed in both candidates because they see a lot of um mudslinging and negative ads about things. So they're going to be looking for specifics. Yes, they they want they want they, they want, want data. They want to trust these people. Mm-hmm. They want to see a plan and they want to trust them. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. I'm an independent and I will say I will be the first to admit that all independents I know are fickle. We're fickle. We uh you know, we we want data. We want we're going to make a rational choice. And uh, we really don't care about dogma at all, one way or another. Just give me a solution that works, and I'll take it from either side. I don't really care, so long as I know that it will work and I and I feel that I can trust the, the leadership. You know, recently, uh, John Zogby mentioned that uh, 
if you look at it from a historical perspective, the longer the independent voter remains by the sidelines and doesn't make a clear choice, uh, it tends to favor the conservative candidate. Uh, I think that in recent history, you can make that case. You know, it's uh, it's interesting, especially when you talk to people on the coast. I know you're out in California. Um, a lot of people on the coast, you're not among them because you're a feisty independent, but a lot of people <laughs> on the coast tend to forget the rest of the country. Yeah. And, uh, and Mr. Zogby's point is right, especially if you look at recent elections. Um, this is a center just right country is how I would describe it. It's a center right country. and uh, That's why we have a majority of Republicans in the House of Representatives. That's why we have parity in the United States Senate with Republicans gaining seats uh, in the last election. Uh, that's why we have a majority, now 30 Republican governors. It's why Republicans made gains in most of the state legislatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this ebbs and flows. And, and in a big presidential year, the de- if Obama wins, the Democrats will cut into those numbers a little bit. But this has been, for some time, for the last quarter century or more, a center right country. And when the Republicans go too far right, they get punished. That's why Barack Obama is the president of the United States. When the Democrats go too far left, they get punished. That's why the 2010, mid, 2010 midterms were so hard for the party, because a lot of voters out there thought maybe the health care plan was too big or maybe the government was spending too much money. And so I think Mr. Zogby's right in that analysis. If it's close at the end, a lot of those independents who are sitting out there are going to put less trust in Washington, which leads them to vote for the more conservative candidate. Mm-hmm. And and what about candidates like Gary Johnson and the Green Party candidate? Do you see any scenario where one of these candidates leads to a Ralph Nader Gore situation? For instance, in uh, in some of these swing states like uh, Colorado, for example, where Gary Johnson's polling fairly well, um, is there some danger that he siphons off enough conservative votes in that state to cost Romney? Yes. I don't see it just yet, mm-hmm. um, but we've got three weeks to go. And that's another reason I think Romney having strong debate performances in debate two and number three are critically important, because if those people decide he can't win or I don't like him and they go looking for another place to go, uh, you mentioned Colorado. Uh, look, Gary Johnson's from the neighboring state, New Mexico, right. um, a lot of libertarians in Colorado, a lot of people who share his message of, you know, Washington is in our business much too much. Uh, and so there's there's some natural appeal there anyway. Uh, plus, you have a core of Ron Paul supporters there who are sort of Republicans, but they're more libertarians. Another state I would watch, I was just in Iowa a couple of weeks ago, and Iowa Republicans have been begging the Romney campaign to ask Ron Paul to either cut a television ad for uh, the Romney campaign or come campaign with Romney in Iowa or both mm-hmm. because they're worried there's a growing Ron Paul faction out there and they've had a bit of a war with the Republican establishment. You bet. And they're worried that that's a big enough group to go to Gary Johnson and then potentially cost Mitt Romney the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Now we have to take our last break. When we come back, we'll find out what the candidates must do in the next debate to seal the deal. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner, broker, and active real estate agent of Alon Pinnell Realtors, a locally owned real estate company. We've operated on the peninsula for over 16 years, currently located on the corner of Ocean and Dolores and Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. We serve the Monterey Peninsula, focusing on Carmel, Pebble Beach, and the Carmel Valley. Our firm of about 50 agents represents everything from Carmel Cottages to Pebble Beach Estates and oceanfront properties to Valley Vineyards. We are actually known for our vast inventory of fine properties. Drop by and see us, or better yet, visit our website at apr-carmel.com. That's apr-carmel.com. Or you can give us a call at 831 831- 
622-1040. And make sure you tell them Judy sent me. Just about everyone knows that fruits and vegetables are good for our health, but not everyone knows how to build a healthier plate. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. For each meal, nutrition experts recommend filling half of your plate with fruits and veggies. Whether it's fresh berries with your breakfast cereal, a wrap filled with your favorite roasted vegetables for lunch, or a medley of crunchy veggies for a pre-dinner nibble, Dole provides the freshest and highest quality produce available. When you load up on all the nutritional good stuff, you give your meal an instant boost of color, flavor, and texture, plus vitamins and minerals and fiber. Everything your body needs to succeed. For nutritional inspiration and to learn more about Dole's fresh, whole, and cut vegetables and a full line of berries, visit Dole.com. With Dole as your partner in health, the possibilities are endless. Visit Dole.com. This is Sylvia Panetta of the Panetta Institute announcing the 2012 Jefferson Lincoln Awards. Our special honorees, Democratic Whips, Denny Hoyer, Republican Secretary of Transportation, Ray LaHood, and CNN's Candy Crowley will join us on Saturday, November 10th at the Inn at Spanish Bay. This gala will honor these individuals who are focused on the challenges facing our nation, from the economy to infrastructure and the political divisiveness in Washington. Call 582-4200 for more information. Hi folks, Warren Knox here of Knox Roofing. Going through my tackle box the other day brought to mind all the choices we have. Lures like a Castmaster, a Wobble Right, Super Dupers, Ford Fenders, a Crocodile, Panther Martin, or a Blue Fox. A Hoochie might work. It's hard to know which one. All work differently. When it comes to hiring a roofing contractor, it's a lot like a tackle box. Lots of choices between contractors. Some look flashy, talk, dress fancy, have a lot of promises and can be very convincing and pretty. But when it comes to your home, especially your roof, there's only one choice to get the job done right, and that's Knox Roofing. So folks, don't get lured in by a flashy contractor. Knox Roofing tells it straight. We have a track record unsurpassed in the community. If poor workmanship and substandard materials is what you're looking for, Knox Roofing is not for you. So give Knox Roofing a call today. We'll be a good catch for you at 461-0634. Thanks, folks. Hey, kids, what time is it? That's right, it's happy hour. Hi, I'm Charlie Friedman, inviting you to our afternoon get-togethers here on KSCO. Join me weekdays at 4 here on your favorite radio station for three hours of news, traffic, weather, news talk, and a few great 78s from my vast collection. So, listen to Happy Hour on KSCO. Learn why they call me the genial genius of Watsonville. Happy Hour, 4 to 7 weekdays on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Our guest today is Chief National Correspondent for CNN, Mr. John King. So this is the seventh election you have covered, and I'd like to know what makes this election different from others you've reported on. How closely divided the country is. Um, how um, frustrated people are with both parties and any big institution. They're frustrated with the banks. They're frustrated with the media. Um, but they just don't trust. They don't trust politicians. Uh, and, and that is striking to me, and it's also somewhat sad to me. Um, but uh, the close polarization of the country, which has increased from the Clinton years through the Bush years and now into the Obama presidency, but the lack of trust there are so many big consequential issues facing the country, uh, whether it's Medicare or Social Security or tax reform. Uh, how do we 
change in education system that right now is failing us, not only our children of today, but our economic challenges for tomorrow. But John, isn't isn't it interesting that they have a lack of trust, but they won't give a third party candidate a fighting chance? That's the irony to me. You know, you're you're fed up with the two parties, but you won't consider a third party. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting, but the the one thing the two parties agree on is making it really hard for a viable third party to emerge. And, uh, you know, Ross Perot was that threat in 1992. He got 20 million votes. Um, But I I believe that if Ross Perot had been able to control his ego and stepped (laughs) aside and become chairman emeritus of the Reform Party and given it some seed money, Mm-hmm. that now, 20 years after 1992, it is my bet that if he had not made it all about him, that we would have five or six Reform Party governors. We would have three or four, maybe six Reform Party members of the United States Senate. You'd have a smattering, a dozen or two, in the House of Representatives, and they would be a force and a presence. Would we have a third-party president yet? I don't know. Um, but but they would they would force the other two parties to come to the middle and deal with them at the table. Unfortunately, the moment... Well, it changes all the mathematics in every, in every single state when you have a third party. It changes the entire dynamic. Suddenly, those guys have to go campaign in every state. They have to earn it. They, they have, have to earn it. That's right. And you can't just place an oppositional vote just because you don't like the other candidate. I hope that I hope that you know some of the redistricting reforms we see in California and other places around the country. Hopefully, they make the house races more competitive. That's that's another part of the what I call the cancer in the system, is mm-hmm. that you, know, you have 435 house seats, but even in a big election year, uh, after Labor Day, maybe 50, sometimes 60, uh, but normally 35 to 50 house districts are competitive. Out of 435, that's pathetic. How do you get competition? How do you bring new people to the process? How do you get, you know, everybody, even the best politicians should be challenged. Uh, Defend your ideas. Come up with new ideas. Maybe listen to the other guy and learn from him. Um, But when you have, the the process is, you know, just stultified um, by the fact that we don't have more competition. That's that's correct. With, with all the discussion about opening up the competition, we don't even have it in our own capital. So now, based on your experience, what does Obama need to do in this next debate to turn the momentum to his favor? He, he needs to show a little bit more passion. People want to know, in a tough economy like this, people want to know the president still has some fight. Uh, because they've been fighting. Everybody out there has made tough choices in the last three or four years. No matter whether they're rich or poor or somewhere in the middle, uh, the last few years have forced big adjustments, tough choices on every American family and every American citizen. Uh, so they've had to fight through that. They want to see that he has fight. And they didn't see fight in the first debate. I think that hurt him. Just just the, the theater of it, the, the style of it, it hurt him. But to not be have more fight and spunk. Uh, and then they want to know what will be different. Because he can't just say, give me four more years. They'll be like, these four years, because these four years have been tough. People want to think, all right, I like some of what he's done, but I don't like some. What lesson have you learned, Mr. President? Tell me something you did wrong and how it's going to help you be better in four more years. Show people a plan. Tell them where you're going to take them, because you're asking them to you know, leave you at the wheel of the car. After four tough years, you're asking for four more. Uh, you've got to give them a sense that you know, we're going to make it over the hill. Well, they sure saw some fight in Joe Biden. That's uh, that's a given. You know, uh, one of the questions I have is in the last election, there were a lot of voters who turned out because this was a historical moment. They wanted to be part of electing the first black president. And that's not something the polls talk about much. Uh, Will these folks turn out in November for Obama? I think that's a huge risk for the president. The one luxury of not having a primary challenge is that the Obama campaign has spent tens of millions of dollars worrying about just that issue. But that's what I mean when I say this election could be won or lost on the margins. If Romney has two strong debates and the conservative base turns out and Romney appeals to at least a decent slice of those independents, undecided voters in the middle, 
then then we have a turnout election. And so if African-American turnout, the president will get 95 percent of the African-American vote. But what if it's down one half of one percent? And what if Latino turnout is down a little tiny bit? Uh, what if a tiny percentage of college educated women drift to Romney, not Obama? A couple of tiny changes like that flips the state of Ohio, flips the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Flips the state of Virginia. Uh, and so this, this election could be won on the margins. And that question of, you know, how did the, the young, young, the youth vote was overplayed a lot in 2008. But in North right. Carolina and Indiana, you can find the data that says young voters helped President Obama win those states. Indiana's gone. It will well, be they're certainly state. engaged. You know, you look at the Twitter numbers, you look at the Facebook numbers, and you can see that during Obama's speech at the uh, at the Democratic National Convention, you know, I think I forget it was something like fifty-seven thousand tweets per minute. It was five times, ten times the amount that Romney got and even Clint Eastwood got, right? So there's no question, and social media is dominated by that youth vote. But are they going to show up? That's the big question. And that's why the Obama campaign has put so much emphasis on early voting among young voters and discouraged African-Americans. They try to identify them early because they know they're not reliable on Election Day. So they're trying to get them out now in the states where the 30 states have some form of early voting. And they're trying to get them out now because they know on the crush of Election Day, when you've got so many things to worry about, you're not going to be able to touch base with everybody. And if again, if you drop one half of one percent somewhere, it could cost you the state. He won North Carolina by 14,000 votes last time. And I always use the example of George W. Bush became president because of how many? 537 votes in the state of Florida. I don't think that'll happen again in my lifetime, but you never know. You never know. And and finally, what does Romney need to do to build on the success he and Ryan, Ryan have had in these televised debates? He he presented a Mitt Romney in the first debate that was not the Mitt Romney people see in the Barack Obama campaign ads, who is a heartless cold-hearted capitalist who puts greed above your job. Uh, He did a good job in the first debate. He needs to build on that because people will not be sold on one debate performance. He won a second look, and now he needs to win a third look. And it's trust. It's it's back to the same point. He needs to, he bills himself as Mr. Turnaround and Mr. Fix-It. He needs to fill in that narrative a little bit more about how, you know, I like President Obama too. He's a nice guy. You can't condemn President Obama because the American people, even those with doubts about him, a lot of them like him as a person. So Romney has to use the last two debates to say he is a likable guy, but he has not proven he can create jobs at the scale we need to get out of this mess. Here's how I would do it. So criticize the president, but politely and on the substance, not personally, and then give a roadmap, give a more succinct roadmap of close your eyes, people. Here are the three things I will do. Now open your eyes. Well, we're pretty used to two types of turnaround characters. We're used to the guy who comes in and fixes what's wrong in the factory, starts hiring more people, you know, dusts off the equipment and gets everybody working again. And we're also used to the second type, uh, the Jack Welch model, where you go in and close a town down because it doesn't make any sense anymore and you put everybody out of work. I mean, there's a reason they called Jack Welch Neutron Jack, you know, the, after the neutron bomb. All the workers were gone, but the factory was still there, right? So uh, it seems like he's got that, you know, that mixed, that, that double-edged sword to, to deal with, don't you think? I think that's exactly right. And so his challenge is to say, uh, if we have 10 problems we have to fix, uh, I'm going to tell you that in eight of them, we're going to build and it's going to get better. And yes, there might be one or two factories or one or two problems uh, that we have to shut down. Uh, there might be one or two things where we fail. We're, we're, we, we look in and we say, this is not working to the point where it has to go. Um, but he, what he has to sell people on, because that's, those are the Bain Capital examples the president's campaign is giving. What he has to say is, yeah, sometimes you have to make very painful choices, but... All in all, if you give me four years, 
the, the cumulative effect of these choices will be growth, will be jobs, will be a healthier middle class and a stronger American economy. Mm-hmm. Well, John, that is all. I can't believe this. This is the fastest hour I've ever had. That's all the time we have today. Before I let you go, I do want to thank you for your coverage uh, of the election on CNN, and in particular for breaking things down in a way that makes it easier for voters to track the progress of these candidates. Thank you, Mr. King. It's absolutely my pleasure. I hope everybody remembers to vote. If your station is leaving us after the first hour, I think our producers may have been gunning for a royal flush. I need to point out that our guest next week has no relationship to John King, except for sharing the last name. The one and only Larry King will be here. King has seen a lot of changes in the media, some good and some not as positive, and he'll be here to tell us what he's learned from interviewing over 50,000 leaders and celebrities and why he's left the mainstream media in favor of an Internet television broadcasting career. That's broadcasting legend Larry King next week, right here on your favorite weekly news program. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa, and you're listening to The Costa Report. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. We have an important election coming this November, and I know that many folks are struggling right now. And if you're not struggling, well, then you're just flat out worried. I know that you're hoping that the next president, whoever they are, will have a plan for getting us out of an economic hole that keeps getting deeper. But this time around, the answers may not come from the top down. Something is happening to us, and it is happening to all people in all nations at the exact same time. And that is why I am asking you to take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle. It's a book that will change the way you see our problems and also the upcoming election. So please pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. It's available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores everywhere. You can also grab a copy at Rebecca Cost. But don't wait. Take a moment to get your copy, and together, let's get our lives and our country moving forward again. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. I don't know if you feel a little sluggish in the middle of the afternoon like I do, but if you do, I'm going to suggest you try Pollen Burst. It's an orange-flavored energy drink that comes in a packet, and it tastes a lot like that other orange drink the astronauts used to drink. You know the one. Pollen Burst contains vitamins A, B1, B3, B6, B12, pantothenic acid, vitamin D3, and gluconolactone, all designed to give you an energy boost that can last for hours. Pollen Burst comes in a box of 30 packets for $56 or two boxes for $100, and you can order it right now at kscoteam.com. The next time you feel tired and need a little boost, 
Skip the coffee, soda, or candy bar and mix up a cold glass of pollen burst and do your body some real good. Go to kscoteam.com. From Pasatiempo to Pebble Beach, Red Hot News Talk, AM 1080, KSCO Santa Cruz. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.